Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. From Decrypt.co, this is Matthew Aaron. Today on the show, early dot listing hurts traders, says Polkadot. Historic regulations for cryptocurrencies are coming to Europe. And in our main story, could blockchain have saved Beirut from a horrible explosion? All coming up on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today is Thursday, August 20th, 2020. And it is also the last night of the DNC. Millions of people have been watching. I try not to watch at night. I try to catch up with all the news in the morning. And I watched Obama's speech. I took a look at Kamala Harris. So I'm looking forward to Joe Biden's speech tonight. But before all of that, we have to figure out what's going on with our crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. I'm recording this at 2 18 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $11,859.86. Pretty much the same from yesterday, only down 0.17%. Ethereum, 414.88. The same as yesterday. Litecoin, 62.62. Down 0.3% from yesterday. Chainlink, 16.15. Down 5.3% from yesterday. And Ethereum, 29.1 cents down 1.2% from yesterday. Total market cap for all cryptocurrencies is $371.3 billion. Bitcoin dominance, 59%. In our main story today, in the wake of the monstrous, disastrous, and saddening explosion that happened in Beirut on August 4th, I wondered if blockchain could have prevented the situation. So it got me thinking, supply chain on the blockchain, why was this ammonium nitrate stored there and nobody doing anything about it? Were they warned? Did they forget about it? Did they just keep loading it there? Did nobody know what was being loaded there? Was the people who managed the docks not even aware of what was being stored there? And so I reached out to an old buddy, Jeremy Goodwin of SyncFab, who integrated blockchain into their supply chain model. And I asked him, could supply chain on the blockchain have helped in this situation here's what he has to say jeremy welcome to the show thank you matthew it's good to be back uh after after an extended period of time 100 the first time we spoke was back in 2017 when i had another cryptocurrency podcast and you were on there uh, talking about your company syncfab we had just begun to integrate the blockchain functionality in our supply chain solution yes so when i reached out to you about this issue which i'm going to explain in a minute that was my connection to blockchain and supply chain and the incident is Beirut. The explosion that happened in Beirut uh, a week ago, it was very sad, very tragic. I thought, how could something be stored with no accountability? Nobody knows about it. Nobody's looking into this. And I thought blockchain, could blockchain possibly have a solution or a way to you know, communicate the storage or this problem or whatever happened with the, these chemicals there in Beirut? in a better way than than they had that led to this incident. And that's why I contacted you. So what, what can you tell me about supply chain on the blockchain and this incident? And could it be 
a solution to what happened over there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, with the the tragic occurrence of what happened in, in Beirut, um, you know, as I mentioned previously, I mean, I, I'm no expert on the on the sequence of events that led up to the the actual tragedy, but based on what my understanding is from from reading the the various reports that are that are currently publicly available, I understand that investigations are, are still ongoing. I mean, it it was related to a, a fire at a fireworks warehouse that ignited a large quantity of uh, ammonium nitrate, which my understanding was aged ammonium nitrate. It was improperly stored. You know, there was a large amount of ammonium nitrate stored in, in, in the wrong manner, you know, over prescribed allowances of how much of this substance is supposed to be stored together and that it created a, a dangerous mixture of too much ammonium nitrate with, you know, that was incredibly unstable and just so happened to be next to, you know, this fire when it when it broke out. So, you know, just due to the sheer level of impact that this caused, you know, it, it merits looking at all possible solutions. And blockchain definitely has mechanisms uh, as a part of the technology that could have mitigated and can mitigate, you know, future tragedies like this from happening. And that's in the form of, you know, the immutable record of the production of these substances, the shipment of these substances, the storage of these substances, as well as how long they're left to, uh, you know, to be stored in, in such a place. And that's essentially to account for, um, you know, the amount of ammonium nitrate that was allowed to be stored uh, together in a particular place, as well as the period of time um, that that ammonium nitrate is stored, um, you know, before it's it's flagged as being, you know, excessively flammable and extremely volatile. So that can be done in the form of the timestamps that are affixed to it when it's initially produced, um, who produced it, where it was produced, at what time it was produced, and when it was shipped as well as in the form of when it's received um, and then subsequently stored. So what's great about the blockchain records is they're immutable. So to the extent that there are a, a whole you know, bunch of theories, you know, conspiracy theories about you know, whether or not the, the storage records of this ammonium nitrate were, were doctored or, or messed with, you know, the blockchain records of the receipt and storage, um, as well as the timestamps behind the, the storage of this ammonium nitrate, you know, they, they could not be played with, they're immutable, so they can be relied upon for their for their accuracy. In addition to that, you know, smart contract features can be attached to these records so that flags can be put in place where certain conditions are um, violated. Violations such as storing too much of this ammonium nitrate together in one place, as well as, you know, the storage life of the ammonium nitrate, um, ammonium nitrate being exceeded so that the owners or the managers of the, the storage of this uh, substance can be alerted and, um, you know, instructed to, to do something about it, to make sure that, um, you know, where there was too much stored in one place to reallocate it and where the uh, storage life of it has been exceeded, you know, to either ship it back or to store it in a more safe place. What you're talking about when it comes to the timestamps, it sounds as though it sounds a little bit like the Bitcoin block header. Would you just like have all this information in a block header when like maybe a new shipment would be would be uh, shipped out, like create a new block with all this information, all these different containers kind of batched together and then shipped out to one place. And then you mentioned that, you know, if it's stored in one place for too long, I guess you would have to have some sort of GPS on the blockchain as well to make sure that the, if they move or if they're transferred somewhere else, that this kind of uh, alerts the smart contract or, or puts their location in a blockchain as well to make sure that it's not in a one space for too long. It's less so being in one space for too long as opposed as opposed to just being stored period for too long is my understanding. So, you know, a, a fixed schedule can be assigned to that, but it's more so, 
you know, how much of it is stored together. And that can be uh, a hybrid solution of, you know, essentially acknowledging receipt and more of an inventory management functionality that, that requires a more uh, adapted functional build out of the blockchain that can be an overlay, a, a combination of, you know, human interaction and, and authenticating receipt of the shipment and acknowledging how much of the shipment is stored together, which of course that can be doctored. So these records they can be played with when they initially are recorded, but subsequently they can't be changed. So the only way to mitigate for the for the human error factor is essentially is to attach a last mile solution in the form of either an IoT sensor or a wireless sensor that's perhaps attached to an RFID chip, you know, on the the pallet or the crate itself that stores the the amount or the volume of you know ammonium nitrate in one particular batch. Um, so there are various ways to address that. But yeah, ultimately these records are stored in it could be in a in a multitude. It depends which blockchain you're using, if it's Bitcoin or Ethereum, for example. For this to work, you would need transparency. And when it comes to a chemical like ammonium nitrate, do you really want to have transparency so everybody knows what's on it or be able to audit this? Or would that only be open to certain people? And if it's only open to certain people, I guess fraud or corruption would still be, you know, a problem. They could still ignore this information. So that's a big issue in the blockchain industry right now. I mean, a big part of the the, the movement right now is it's it's about the, the data that's being stored, you know, on the blockchain and quality of the data, the accuracy of the, of the data is a separate issue. So standardization and creating standards across various industries for chemical substances, for example, is a major priority. So it, it really merits getting some of the international organizations involved, like ISO, for example. So a lot of the producers of these chemical substances, they're required to have certain ISO certifications. Um, that's the International Standards Organization. So to the extent that we can get ISO involved in you know, deciding some of the application of the standards you know, on the blockchain, they're definitely related to deciding the standards uh, in, in paper form. But basically translating those standards to, to the records that are stored on the blockchain, that transfers the transparency from a potentially modifiable version of the paper certificate into a digital record of the, that formula, the, the chemical content of that chemical substance onto the blockchain where it can't be doctored with. It can't be messed with at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100% makes sense. Again, I would still want to know, like, like for example, when it comes to Beirut, you know, the, the Lebanese government was basically, and they're, they're all resigning right now because they're at fault. They ignored what was happening over there, or they didn't know, or, or what have you. You couldn't open that information up to, like, all the citizens of Beirut because you don't want everybody knowing that ammonium nitrate in that amount of quantity is stored there on the docks. So, how, like, again, opening up the blockchain for that data to allow people to, under, to see it and then act accordingly, how do you ensure that the wrong people don't get that information but the right people actually take take action again with the thing is without that transparency for the uh, for the people that will hold the other people accountable that's what you need for the balance right so that's a very good question um and that really speaks to kind of like the uh the argument right now between the implementation of, of public versus private blockchain architectures and um mm, you know right. data sharing mechanisms as well as the uh the authentication keys behind getting access to those records. Clearly, if it's on a public blockchain, then those those records are publicly accessible. If it's on a private blockchain, then you need an authenticator key in order to access those those records, which is becoming more of the, the predominant model for 
private industry. But that being said, uh, with respect to you know governing bodies versus the uh, the general public and 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 the citizenry, that really would require a government initiative on you know to to provide that transparency kind of at a level of, say, like a Freedom of Information Act. But I was speaking more in terms of creating those mechanisms to alert the warehouse managers as to when, you know, how much uh, nitrogen right. is being stored, when those timestamps, uh, you know, storage storage life is, has been exceeded. And with respect to, you know, the human error in terms the human error potential of acknowledging receipt of that shipment, um, you know, that's really where you could have the kind of cyber physical solution, you know, serving as a, a checkpoint for the data record on the blockchain with the RFID chip on the on the on the pallet or the crate that's storing the ammonium nitrate. I reached out to you the other day to uh, try to think about this and come on the show to talk about this. And I think that uh, I just want to say I appreciate you taking the time to come out and and not only think about it, but come on the show and tell us about possible solutions to these kind of scenarios, because. Uh, I, I feel that this is this also happened in uh, in um, Tianjin, China, a couple of years back, five years back, if I'm if I'm correct. And so this is something that we really have to really think about. Yeah, I mean, increasingly it's being looked at in terms of um, you know traceability of the substances, whether it be you know improperly mined cobalt in um, you know batteries that are going into electric powered vehicles, or whether it be volatile chemical substances like ammonium nitrate in the a tragic tragic accident in Beirut. I mean, this this functionality with the right development, it, it can be built and it merits looking at all possible solutions. So those mechanisms do exist in blockchain, but it needs to be architected in a in, in the proper fashion to be able to mitigate this these types of outcomes, these types of accidents. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Jeremy. Thank you for having me, Matthew. And in other news, a story that we keep hearing, but with different actors. The DOJ charges multi-million dollar crypto Ponzi scheme Airbit Club with fraud. U.S. prosecutors have charged Airbit Club operators with fraud. Airbit promoters promised crypto returns if investors put down cash. In reality, the operators spent investors' money on their lavish lifestyles. How much money are we talking here? At least $20 million. That'll get you a Lambo or two. Early dot listing on unscrupulous exchanges hurt traders, says Polkadot. Polkadot founder Gavin Wood has called out the crypto exchanges that listed DOT tokens early against community wishes. DOT is to be split 100 to 1 on August 21st, with the early listings causing price fees to display DOT going to nearly zero. Polkadot says the moves created chaos and confusion among DOT holders. Gavin tweeted on August 18th, as forewarned, some unscrupulous exchanges listed new DOT today rather than Friday, the denomination day agreed upon by the Polkadot community. While we can't control these centralized exchanges, we can urge them to stop. Their actions are putting our community at risk. Two of the exchanges involved, Kraken and Binance. As a Kraken representative told Decrypt that the exchanges only acted with the client's best interest in mind. In quote, as always, our primary concern is our clients. We choose to do what is in our client's best interest and have received positive feedback from them. We've seen an uptick in interest and clients have deposited 192,500 DOT on the platform. End quote. And by the way, I had to look up unscrupulous myself to see exactly what it meant. And it means unprincipled, unethical, immoral, amoral consciousness, untrustworthy, and shameless. That's a big word to use. And finally, for our last article, I welcome Head of Public Policy at Ledger, Amadine Dawad, to talk about the historic regulations coming for cryptocurrencies in Europe. Amadine, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Matthew. Look, some big news came down the pipe today. Historic regulations are coming to Europe. This is going to be a good thing for cryptocurrency and digital assets. Can you tell me about this? Well, so you know that Europe has in fact been working on it uh, at least since the very beginning of this year because an open consultation uh, for the private sector uh, has gathered a lot of views from the different uh, 27 member states. So we guess this regulation is going to be, um, you know, to come to, to come to conclude this kind of open consultation, opening the floor in Europe to a very innovative regulation, which we hope is going to attract actually foreign companies to come to Europe. Attracting foreign companies coming to Europe. What about the European companies? Well, of course, for European companies, it's... Okay. Yeah, of course, that that goes without saying. But, uh, I mean, European companies will, uh, we hope, will benefit from a passport, meaning that they can operate in the 27 member states without asking for a license in the 27 member states. Either it's going to be a European license or a passportable local license. I mean, that's the first thing that we can wish for, because otherwise business won't be scalable. And I guess having one European license also when you come from abroad, Europe, is going to be uh, massively attractive, I think, for uh, foreign companies. So we hope Europe is going to be a kind of a crypto hub. But I mean, as you know, Ledger is, is international. So we also hope that standardization is going to go at a global level on top of European level. I know that that's, might, might sound like a weird question, but I do know that a lot of countries put a lot of emphasis on trying to get foreign investment or foreign businesses into their country to help their economy or to make their economies or countries more diverse, uh, their industries more diverse. I know Taiwan is one of those with a, a sandbox trying to get a lot of different companies Companies, a lot of different industries back into Taiwan to be have a more robust economy. My, my question out of this is cryptocurrency, ICOs, and other kinds of formations that came about in cryptocurrency has an uncanny way to operate outside of regulations and restrictions. Why would people comply to restrictions and regulations if cryptocurrency can operate outside of them? I think regulation is going to be here to uh, help innovating even more. The innovation way that has been done in the past with ICOs, we have seen a lot of scams and I think investors have not been protected enough. I am not in favor of heavy regulation. We are in favor of regulation that would help the end consumer to enter into the crypto space safely and for the institutions and crypto players to offer new tools also in a safe way. So if we do it on a risk-based approach, you know, where risk or not or not put forward all the time, like for example, AML risk, you know, Bitcoin has been seen as the best way to uh, mon- to launder money. I mean, that's not the case. We know this for sure. If we do it on a risk-based approach of the risks that are actually happening and on theoretical ri- risks, we see regulation as the way to for mass adoption of the cryptos and not the other way around. Amadine, thank you very much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Bye, Matthew. Thank you very much for listening to today's show. Please follow me on Twitter at The Decrypt Daily. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and share it with your friends. And download the Decrypt app so you can have news right in your pocket anytime, anywhere, at the touch of an app. We'll see you tomorrow for our long-form podcast with Sergey Nazarov, co-founder and CEO of Chainlink. We'll see you then.